Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. We're going to jump right into what we're doing today. We are in week three of a series called How to Live Through a Bad Day. And uh, in this series, what we're doing is we're taking a look at uh, the, the very worst day that Jesus walked through. It's a day that we call Good Friday, but it was anything but good for him as Jesus was uh, acu- falsely accused, he was abused, he was beaten, uh, tortured, and ultimately murdered for, uh, for your sins and for mine. But, but, but he, was, he, he went through so much all in a 12-hour period that you and I never really have to face so much in such a short time, uh, being abandoned by all his friends as well. And, and on his worst day, Jesus went through it in a particular way, and I think it's important that we look at how he did it. And while he was on the cross, Jesus made seven different statements. And so we're looking at those statements and learning lessons from them. Our key verse for this whole series is Hebrews 12 too. It says this, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. So if you notice something that when you're reading this text, the author includes us in it. He says, this is the race that we're in and he ran and finished the same race that we're in. Well, what does that mean? What well, means the same life that we live today, he lived as well. See, he's not like, he's not like there, there are plenty of other religions and other faiths in this world that have these gods, and these gods are so far removed from the people that worship them and serve them. But our God, the one true God, he came to earth and, and lived here with us. He sent his son Jesus to walk this earth and live a life just like we did. And it says, hey, he knows exactly what you've experienced because he experienced it firsthand. He didn't just create us on this earth and then watch us from heaven. No, he walked out the same life. The Bible says that he experienced everything that was common to you and I. Jesus walked through that. And so he says, hey, he did this. He began and he finished the race that we're in. And because he did it, we can study how he did it. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're studying specifically how he faced his worst day. And it says, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. In other words, that was Jesus's focus. That's why he could continue and run this race. He never lost, folk, or lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, the cross, shame, or whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. And so here's where we've been the last couple weeks when Jesus was first nailed to the cross and they erected it and dropped it into the hole in the ground. The very first statement that Jesus made as he was bleeding and dying on the cross was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the lesson we took from that was to to learn to live our lives in such a way that we forgive everyone who's trying to ruin our lives. Now, I'm going to step out of the pastor role for just a second and just be, be a guy for a moment and just tell you this. This series has kind of been messing with me. I don't know if it's been messing with you or not. Because every week I preach one of these messages, God gives me an immediate opportunity to live it out. The first week I preach, forgive everybody who's trying to ruin your life, somebody starts ruining my life right after Sunday. Anybody else? Can I get a witness out there? Anybody else know exactly what I'm talking about? 
I felt equipped, and I was thankful for that. But I'm like, okay, God, thanks for that, you know? And then the next week, the, the next statement that Jesus makes is to the thief that is hanging on the cross with him. There are two of them. And one of them says, hey, Jesus, remember me when you get into heaven. And Jesus says, I tell you today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And so the lesson we took from that is though Jesus was struggling in that moment, he, he helped somebody who was struggling with the same thing he was struggling with. And that was the lesson that we learned. And so after I preached that message on Sunday, on Tuesday night, I fell sick. Well, five of my team members here at the church fell sick as well, all of us. Just same night, same days, all of us, just absolutely dying for several days. And I learned what it was like. I was equipped. All right, I get to walk with them through something. We're all struggling with the same thing. I'm struggling with this. They're struggling with this. This is awesome. I'm encouraging them, praying for them. And I had an opportunity, and I started thinking, my God, I'm a little frightened to preach the rest of this series. Because every time I do, God keeps on giving me something to, some way to live it out like that week. So, so anyway, that's where we've been the last couple weeks. If you missed those messages, please make sure you listen to them. You can get those on our website or through, through, uh, through Spotify or iTunes. We're all there, Simple Church Ohio. You can find our messages there. But this week, the, the third lesson comes from uh, John 19, verse 25 through 27. Uh, it says this, standing near the cross were Jesus' mother... So that's Mary, by the way. And his mother's sister, who was also Mary, by the way. And oh, there was another Mary there. So we've got three Marys there. It's almost like Oprah was around during that day. And you get a Mary, and you get a Mary, and you get a Mary. It's like nobody, they didn't have any other names at that time. I'm not, I don't know. But <clears throat> that was funnier during first service. I'm not going to lie. He says, and when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved. Now, when you see this in the text, you need to know that the author of the book of John is the guy named John. John was one of the 12 disciples. Of the 12 disciples, there were three guys that Jesus regularly brought into private moments with him. That was Peter, James, and John. And then of those three, the one that was closest to him was John. John was his BFF, his bracelet buddy, as it were, all right? They were really, really close. And instead of John just saying, and so, so instead of saying, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside me, John, for whatever reason in the text, likes to say, standing next to the disciple that he loved. <laughs> so when you see that, just know that John's talking about himself. It's the oddest way to talk about yourself in third person, right? And he said to her, so this is Jesus now talking to his mom. He said, dear woman, here is your son, referring to John. And he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. So in this scene, Jesus is hanging on the cross. His mom is there, and John, one of his disciples, is there, and Jesus is addressing his mom. And John, by the way, in this moment, uh, if you read the whole story, you know that, that the Bible shows that when Jesus was taken by the guards in the Garden of Gethsemane, that all of the disciples ran away. Every single one of them ran away. In fact, if you read all the Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, you'll find that in that story, Jesus gets trailed away by guards, and none of the disciples go with him, but they do follow closely behind him. John follows close, and Peter even further behind. And so John was, was there, but he was still a deserter as well. He was the closest one to Jesus. And so his mom and John, and John is the only one that, that I know of throughout this story that actually has the nerve to show up at the cross while Jesus is there. And in his final hours, Jesus is, is hanging there. 
and these two people approach. Now, I don't know about you, but I tell people, when you read the Bible, you need to learn to read the Bible. Like, actually try to step into it. Try to feel it. Try to imagine the scenario. Try to actually feel all the feelings and see the things and smell the smells and, like, actually be present. Because it was a real story, right? It's not just these words on this page. This is what really happened. And I know oftentimes, you and I, we probably spent time imagining what Jesus went through, like picturing what he went through on the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but until the movie The Passion of the Christ came out, I had no idea how violent that scene was for Jesus to be whipped and beaten and then the crown of thorns and then to be put on that cross. And I had no idea how violent it was. I remember when that movie came out. Anybody seen The Passion of the Christ? Good Lord. I didn't speak for like an hour and a half afterwards. You know, it was just, it was, it was so moving and disturbing to me. So I know we, we've had times where we've visualized the, the, what he went through, but have you ever actually put yourself in his shoes? Like actually from, from, from the cross, put yourself in his shoes. Imagine what he would have been thinking about during that time. Or how about even just shifting perspective for a moment to John's perspective. John's standing there like, holy cow, what is Jesus going to say? I totally abandoned him. I totally didn't stick up for him when I could have, when everybody was lying about him at the courts. Like, what is he going to say to me right now? Or what about shifting to Mary? What's Mary thinking about? You know, even if Mary knew that Jesus was born to live for this moment, to die, even if she knew that, there is no mother that would want to see their son go through that. The Bible says Jesus was beaten unrecognizable. And now he was tortured and humiliated by being hung on the cross naked. It's not a pretty picture. Be merry for a moment. Feel the feelings. See what she saw. Feel how, how absolutely torn inside she must have felt, knowing that this was the Son of God who came to save all men and that he was to do it this way. And yet he was the child that you, that you raised and, and bore into this world. And so, in his final hours, here's what's happening. We are seeing Jesus look at his mom, and his mom look at him. And in this moment, I, if I switched and shifted into Jesus' perspective, you know, we don't have record that his mom was there in the garden. We don't have record that his mom was there at the trial. She might have been at home, and somebody had to go get her and bring her so she could arrive at this moment. It might have been his first time seeing her. But with John, after he abandoned him, I don't know about you, but I don't think in this moment that I would have been thinking about their needs very much. For me, if I was hanging on that cross, I'd have said, John, how dare you show your face here? I think I'd have been a little more tore up about that. I'd have been a little more mad and less friendly because all had abandoned Jesus in that moment, even John. Everyone had let him down. Because see, for me, and I don't know about you, but when somebody lets me down, I have a tendency to believe that everyone has let me down. And I start acting and acting, and I go into this mode of like burn it all to the ground. Anybody else? You know what I'm saying? Like just, just let's, get, let's just do it. Destroy everything because this one person betrayed me or hurt me. Why do we do that? Well, because hurt people hurt people. It's what we do. Hurt people hurt people. We come home and we pass the pain off to our spouse. We transfer the trial that we're going through to the, to the waiter who's just serving you lunch or dinner. 
We shift the struggle to our kids. And most of the time, when we hurt the most, we transfer it on to those that we love the most. That's what we do. When we're in pain, we take it out on them. But this is not what Jesus did. In this moment, in his worst moment, he's thinking about caring for those that he loves the most. Now, Mary, among many things that she was thinking, you have to imagine that she also had on her mind, and though she didn't say anything, she certainly didn't project it onto Jesus, but the thought of, what am I going to do? You know, Jesus was the oldest son, and Jesus was likely the one taking care of his mom. We saw that oftentimes when Jesus traveled, Mary went with him. Why is that? Well, theologians say that it's because Joseph, her husband, was likely dead at this point. And so Jesus was the one caring for his mom. And now in Jesus' death, though he had brothers, she might have been thinking, what about me? What's next? And Jesus, even being in a, pain, a place of pain, would have known that. And so when he looks at his mom, he says, mom, here you go. Here's your son. He's not saying, hey, mom, look up here at me. He's saying, hey, mom, here's, here's your son, John. And he looks at John and and, and with some restoration, I'm certain in his voice, he says, here's your mom. I need you to take care of her. All is forgiven. I need you just, to, just to, to, to take care of my mom or take care of my moms, you know. What we see here is that Jesus is modeling something that we tend to get wrong when we're in the middle of our own pain, when we're facing our worst moment and we're having a bad day. And it's this third lesson that we learned from this statement from Jesus on the cross is that when you're going through a bad day, be sure you're taking care of those near you. You may have pain in your marriage. You may have struggles with your emotions. You may have wounds from a friend who betrayed you or trials on the job. But don't pass them on to others. Don't pass them on. Let them share your pain if they want to, but don't pass it on to them without their consent. That was so good. Somebody should be writing that down. Think about that. Oftentimes, we pass our pain onto someone else without their consent. It's different when they approach you and they want to share your pain than when you pass it on. We assume those closest to us understand what we face every day. We assume that they know what we're going through and that they understand the pressures we face that they understand the stress of being a parent or, or, or the disappointments that happen in our lives or, or even the, the answers that we have to have, that, that we've got a boss to answer to, we've got kids to answer to, we've got a, a, bill, a, we've got a, a bill collector to answer to. We, we, we have to have answers. And we think they understand. We assume that they do. And when they don't, if you're anything like me, you tend to lash out. You know, I, people ask me, and they say, Aaron, what, what's going on in your world right now? And I, and I just tell them, man, I'm in the greatest season of my life. And that's true. You need to know that. Our church is growing. It may not look like it right now because of the whole bunch of empty seats, but we're praying God fills those seats. Amen, everybody, right? Like, we moved to a second service so we could fill them because there's people that need to know Jesus. And, and so, so, so join me in that prayer, but know that I'm, I'm in the greatest season of my life. We also just hired three, count them, three I've never had any, any part-time or full-time helpers like this, I have three part-time staff members now. Yeah. You want to talk about some growth, that is some, some immediate like, hello, we've got some help, and now we can, we can, we can do some really awesome things. And, and so what, what I'm saying is I'm in the greatest season of my life, and I've never felt more overwhelmed. 
I've never felt more overwhelmed. I've never had staff. I don't know what to do with, with staff like that. I've never, I've, I, I'm having to write employee handbooks and, and figure out schedules. Like, come on, somebody. You know, and some of you are just like, yes, I love this. This is good. And others would be like, oh, geez, that, I would just want to take a nap hearing about that. And that's me. <laughs> right? Like, I'm, I don't want to hang out in that world and have to do all that and figure that stuff out. But I've had to do that for figure out payroll and figure out, I mean, like all that stuff, you know? It's just... It's a whole bunch of stuff I've never had to do before, and I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed. And there's stuff as our church continues to grow. There's things that we face that, that we don't really share with everybody. You know, we, we, there's stuff that, that goes on behind the scenes that, that just make my heart sad as well. And then on those days, man, when I'm feeling the pressure, and, and I have been feeling it a lot lately, I usually come home, and my wife sees me, and she goes, she goes, you need a hug, don't you? She's got these things called melt-away hugs. Now, don't you ask them for her. You need to find somebody else to get your hugs from. <laughs> but I'll come, home. I'll come home, and she'll give me what she calls a melt-away hug. She just hugs me, and all my cares just seem to melt away. But lately, since I've been so overwhelmed, they, just, they seem to just stick with me, no matter how many hugs I get. And, and, and I've been quiet. I've been introspective and reflective. My kids start getting concerned when I'm quiet. Because I don't know if y'all know me, but I'm quite loud. My house, we, at least my sister said, amen, yep. We're, we're all quite loud. And so for me to be quiet, my kids know something's wrong. And as a result, the last couple of weeks, they've come up and just given me a hug. Dad, I'm praying for you. I love you. What's going on? And, and they've asked to share the burden. This is way different than how I was before I started walking with Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you that on any given day, when I was stressed out, I would come home and I literally threw things. Please don't think less of me. But I did. I would slam stuff. I would yell. I'd walk in the door and anything that was out of place or that could have been taken care of and should have been taken care of, if it wasn't taken care of and they're standing at the TV or playing on their phones, I would lose it. I would yell and scream. I didn't cuss at anybody because that's not my style. But I would absolutely have a meltdown and I would burn it all to the ground, night after night after night after night. I would share the struggle. I'd pass on the pain. I, I would rope them into it. And it's not that they did anything directly to me. It's just me transferring my trial to them, the pressures of my life. And you do it too, so don't judge me so harshly. Maybe you're not a yeller and a screamer. Maybe you do it other ways. Maybe, maybe it's just sarcasm or biting and hurtful comments. Or maybe it's just a bad attitude that you've got. Nobody wants to be around you. Or maybe it's simply you, you have the ability to do good for someone and you withhold that good. Or worse yet, someone you're in a loving relationship with because of the trial and the pain that you're going through, you decide to intentionally sabotage something that they're doing. Or you respond too harshly, or you walk away in times of need, or you in, intentionally neglect your commitments. We pass the pain. We transfer the trial. We shift the struggle. But that's not how Jesus did it. In his worst moment, he was considering those closest to him. And like Jesus, here's your encouragement today. We need to refuse to allow our present pain to dull our sensitivity to the needs of those who depend on us most. Amen. That's a choice that we have to make. You have to choose, and there are five decisions that you can make 
that will help you remain sensitive to the needs of those around you so that you can actually serve them. Five decisions that if you choose to walk these out will help you look more like Jesus on your worst day. The first one is remember what matters most. Remember what matters most. Remember that it's your family that matters most. Remember that it's those that are closest to you, that love you, that matters most. Remember that it's, it's your relationship with them. Remember that, that the pain that you're going through is temporal. In fact, the book of James, he describes our life, our very life, as something as temporary as vapor, that it's here and gone. And I think we allow too much of the pain of our life today to begin to affect our relationships when really we ought to allow the joy that is coming, the, the joy that is available to us, the joy that is promised to us on the other side of eternity to affect us. We let the temporary pain that we're experiencing ruin our relationships. So we need to focus on what matters most. Instead of focusing on your pain, you can focus on your joy. Do you have a spouse? There's some joy. You can focus on that. Do you, are you, do you have kids that love you? Do you have money in the bank? Do you have a job? Do you have a home? There's so much joy to be found in those things. Do you know Jesus more importantly? Are you going to heaven? That's a more important thing, right? How about the fact that if you're in Christ, he says that you're more than a conqueror, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Man, you've got so many promises that come from the Bible, that come from being in Christ to focus on. Remember what's most important here. Remember what's most important, what matters most. Don't let the pain blind you from that. Now, honestly, that, that's not in my notes. That was just free for you guys today. That, that's just a freebie. My, actually, my very first one, and you'll see it coming up here, is identify the real problem. That's, this is, I guess, the first, but really the second decision you need to make. My media team in first service was like, where is he at with these? I don't have any of these slides. <laughs> Identify the real problem. What's the real issue going on? The real issue is that Paul said, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Spooky. That's what that is. What that means is that your issues are not a, you do not have a people problem, you have a sin problem, a sin problem that stems from spiritual issues. There are some spiritual issues, and that, those spiritual issues stem from an enemy that hate us. The Bible says that the, the devil, his one job is to steal from you. He wants to steal the life that God has intended for you. The next thing the Bible says that the enemy does, because he hates you, is to kill you, to kill any life that God has available for you, to actually rob you of your physical life and the life that God has promised you here on this earth. But then it doesn't stop there. He wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you, and then he wants to destroy. You say, well, I'm already dead. How could he possibly destroy me further? He wants to destroy your world. Everyone in your life, that's his goal, to steal, kill, and destroy. It's a spiritual battle that you're in. Some people tell me, though, Aaron, I heard, I heard that if you don't mess with the devil, the devil doesn't mess with you. <laughs> Wrong. 
That's not true. He's an equal opportunity hater. He hates all of you no matter how much. Now, here's the deal. When you start messing with the devil, he starts messing with you. What does that mean? Well, when you start to get to know God just a little bit, and you start walking in some of the freedom that he's got for you, and you learn that, oh my goodness, God's put a purpose inside of me that I can use to make a difference in someone's life, and you start walking that out and start making a difference. Buddy, here's what happens. You get a big old target painted on your back. The enemy is hot to trot for your life. Everybody say, I got a target on my back. Yep. You're part of it. You're part of the resistance. And the enemy wants to take you out even more so. But listen, let me tell you, as much as I want to say, hey, this is a spiritual issue, not everything is a spiritual issue in your life. Not to be so, not everything is ooky spooky spiritual. Like some people say, well, I ran out of gas on the highway, got a devil on my gas tank. No, you don't. You forgot to fill up the gas tank, all right? Amen. Well, I got to Chipotle and the line was long again. Guess the devil's got me trying to get me down. Listen, it ain't the devil. It's because it's delicious, all right? A lot of people there. I ain't no devil. So not everything is the devil, but you do need to know you've got an enemy, and he'll try to trip you up any way he can to keep you from God's best for your life. So identify the real problem. It's a spiritual issue. Second, second decision, third, really. Third decision you need to do is to avoid the pity party. My goodness. Avoid the pity party. Do, do not accept the invitation to the pity party. It is not a party at all. It is not one you want to be at. Where you sit and you wallow in your self-pity, you do not want that. That is not a place to be. You need to understand and get on board for the fact that things are not always going to go your way. You're not going to be able to carry everything that you face every day. In fact, there are things this side of heaven that you were never meant to carry. You say, well, Aaron, that's not true. My Bible tells me that God will never give me more than I can bear. Show me that. That's not in the Bible at all. What it says is God will never give you more than he can bear. He can bear. That's a different story. That means he'll give you more than you can bear so that you have to do what 1 Peter 5, 7 says is to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God's just looking for you to lean into relationship with him. When things get tough and difficult, he doesn't look at you and tell you to suck it up, buttercup tell you to man up. No, that's not what God says to us. He says, hey, just give it all to me. Just give it all to me. There's, an, there's another translation of this that says, cast all your cares. It's all the stuff you care about. But I like the word anxiety, especially when we're talking about a bad day, because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I go through a bad day, that stuff's got me up walking the floor at night. That stuff's got me awake. I'll fall asleep. I'll sleep for 10 or 15 minutes, and then I wake up and can't sleep because it's running through my mind yet again. It's that stuff that every time you think about it, it just puts your stomach in knots, makes you feel sick. It's that stuff that's got you wringing your hands, stuff you can't stop thinking about. Cast your anxieties, the stuff you're worried about, on him because he cares for you. Don't coddle your cares. Don't do it. He can handle your troubles a lot better than you can. Do you know the Bible tells us that, that, that God says there are two things that are his. He says, these things are mine. 
The first one that he says in the Bible that, that he says, this is mine, is the tithe. That's the first, first part of our income, of, of all that we get. That's, God says, that's mine. The second thing he says is mine is vengeance. And more often than not, when you and I are hurt, the thing that we want to do is hold on to it, to coddle our pain so that we can exact vengeance on someone and hurt somebody back the way that they've hurt us. And God says, vengeance is mine, which means you need to trust him with that. So whether it's worry or wealth, you need to give it over to God because he can do more with it than you can. Amen? So let God handle it. Avoid the pity party and go to the real party that celebrates God's faithfulness. The next decision, whoa, right on, Lynn. She let out a hallelujah. I like it. Next decision you need to make is to live a connected life. Live a connected life. You know, I think it's interesting when we start talking about living a connected life, I think this is the number one thing that we start running from when we start experiencing pain. You can see it. It's almost, it's almost like predictable. People start walking away from God. It's almost like they're so too embarrassed to talk to him about their issues. It's almost like they're too proud to say, I'm struggling here. I've been a Christian for so long. Shouldn't I have figured this out on my own? No. No. I've been a Christian most of my life, and I still don't have it all figured out. There's, there's, there's no requirement for you to have it all figured out. There's a requirement for you to trust God. But when we get into these situations, we tend to, we, we start facing pain, we tend to withdraw from relationship with God. And as a result, we tend to withdraw from his people because, well, I know what they're going to tell me. They're going to give me a Bible verse and they're going to encourage me. You know, And so I'm going to withdraw from God's people as well. Come on, you know it's true. You stop returning those phone calls. You stop, you stop showing up at church as much. Or maybe, maybe your face get, you, you show your face a little less and less at your grow group. You start serving on your team a little less and less. And next thing you know, you just kind of disappear from the church altogether. Why? Well, because I'm going through pain and I didn't, I, I thought people would judge me and I thought they would, they would I, didn't, I didn't know they would, they would help me. I, I thought they would treat me poorly because of what I was going through. And, you know, that's not what God's body is all about at all. That's not what the church is all about. That's not what we're here for. There's comfort in community. Living a connected life is essential. God has a plan for it. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 12, it says this, there is one body, but it has many parts. But all its many parts make up one body. Just, just imagine a body, any body you want to, a lot of parts, fingers, toes, knuckles, hair on the knuckles. I don't know why I'm talking about that, but it's there. It's supposed to serve a point. I'm not sure what it does, but there's many parts, and they all make up one body. It's the same with Christ. We were baptized by one Holy Spirit, and so we were formed into one body. That's me, you, all of us. One body. God has put us together, all the parts of the body. All of them will take care of one another. If one suffers, every part suffers with it. Now tell me, how am I supposed to suffer with you if you withdraw from relationship with us? How am I supposed to offer you any relief if you separate yourself? goes on and says, if one part is honored, every part shares its joy. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. 
Now listen to me, the enemy is no dummy. That enemy that hates your soul, hates your life, that enemy knows that our typical response to pain, relational or otherwise, is to withdraw. He knows that. It's the same old game over and over again. And until you and I choose to respond to pain differently, until we make the decision that we're going to forgive and proceed in relationship anyways, our natural response is to withdraw and build a wall because we don't want to get hurt again. I'll never let someone hurt me that way again. So we keep people at arm's length. We hide behind our wall. And what happens as a result of being behind the wall is we are isolated. This is actually a military tactic. Do you know what it's called? Divide and conquer. If the enemy can get you separated, you're in danger of being conquered. If he can get you away from everyone, then he can take you out a lot easier. But we are stronger together. We were created for one another, to support one another on our bad days. That's why we have our grow groups. Listen, our grow groups are going right now. You can still get involved in one. There's a whole bunch of them that are activity-based, really easy to join. You don't have to like, have done the study the whole time with them. There's some that go out on date nights. There's some that go down to the Dream Center and just serve people that are less fortunate than you, that, that are actually in need. Man, that's, that's, there's so many that you can jump into now. Do you know why I want you to get in there? Not so that we can add numbers to how many people are attending our grow groups, because you need a friend, because you need a relationship. You need a tribe. You need a tribe of people that you can serve with. Get on a team. Join the Dream Team. Serve with us here. Look, this isn't about, about me because I need help. We do need some help. We, we do, we do. I'm not, I'm not we, that's obvious. We need help. But that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is because it's to help you. Because, man, you start serving with other people. They become your tribe. They become the people that love you, that walk with you through life. So when you face your bad day, they're there with you. When you live a connected life, you face your bad days way different than you ever did before. So live a connected life. And the last decision you need to make, and you need to understand that the other four I gave you, th those, are, those ones, th those are ones that you can do anywhere. Like really, if you think about it. Remembering what matters most and identifying the problem. Like you can do those no matter what. But if, but if you want to add God's power to all of those things, here's the last one, and it's the most important one. It's to look to the sun. Look to the sun. That verse in Hebrews that we read earlier, our theme verse says, to keep your eyes on Jesus. Let him be your focus. He's already walked through all this. He knows what you're facing, and he knows how to live this out well. The truth is people are going to let you down. Your wife's going to let you down. Your husband's gonna let you down. Your kids are gonna let you down. Your parents are gonna let you down. Your friends will let you down. I'm gonna let you down. You say, my God, pastor, I came here to be encouraged today. Well, here's your encouragement. Jesus will never let you down. He will never leave you nor forsake you. His love is unconditional. He is always with you. So keep your eyes on him. If you do, you'll find hope. If you do, you'll find healing. If you do, you'll find freedom. 
If you do, you'll find peace and you'll find joy. Let's look to the sun together. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now for all of us. Every single one of us is in the middle of some pain, whether it's physical pain, relational pain, social, emotional, Lord, financial. I have no idea. We're all living out some of our worst days in some area of our lives. For those of us that are not, Lord, I know that, that your word says that, that those times are coming. And that's not to discourage anybody. It's just to say, God, I know that we're going to face them. And so, Lord, I pray right now that, that in these areas where each of us hurt, first of all, that you would just heal us. Lord, the, the places where there's relational hurt, would you just touch that part of our hearts? And, and if that's you and you're here today, would you just let God touch that spot? Would you just let him touch your heart? Hmm. Lord, heal that place in our lives. Replace it. Re replace the lies that the enemies told us with your truth and your love. And Lord, help us. Help us on our worst day to remember what matters most. To keep in, in view eternity in heaven, our relationships that matter to us, that the pain, to, to remember that the pain that we are facing is fleeting, is momentary. Lord, help us to, to remember that there's an enemy that hates our soul and that in those moments that we can identify and just say, where's the enemy at work in this? Where is he at work in my life? What do I need to repent for? How do I need to shift to alleviate this pain? Lord, and then, and then as we walk through that, Lord, to refuse the pity party invitation, man, that's not where we need to be. May we refuse to wallow in our pain, but learn to trust you with it, to turn it over to you, to believe that you're good, that you love us, and that you want to carry our burdens for us. And Lord, help us to, to live a connected life as well. There's so many of us that have removed ourselves from relationships. We've refused opportunities to get connected whether outside of this church or inside of this church, we've limited our connection with other people. We've limited from ourselves from being authentic and real with them. And so, Lord, we're, we're not getting the help we need and the relationships that we need. And so, God, help us to live a connected life. Help us to become aware of our behaviors and our thought process. To realize to be connected, we're going to have to live selflessly we're going to have to choose to involve others in our lives to make that choice. And finally, God, I pray that as we look to you to see how you did it, Jesus, that we would receive all that we need to face our bad days and to keep in focus those that we love and, and how they need to be served. Thank you, Jesus. Now, for there's some, there might be some of you here in this room, the last thing I prayed for us was to look to the sun. That might be the first thing that you need to do. Because you'd say, Aaron, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I got relationships with people, but I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And just here and now in this moment, I'm gonna pray a prayer, and I would love to, if you wanna be included on that, if you feel God drawing your heart to make a commitment today to say yes to Jesus, 
to say, God, I need you. That I need your love. I need your power in my life. That if that's you, I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you want to be included on that prayer, would you just right now where you're at, would you just slip your hand up, say, Aaron, that's me. Just let me know that you're here. Would you just do that now? If you're listening by podcast or, or even through our live broadcast, we're going to pray this prayer. And those of you here in this room, would you pray with me now as well? Say, everybody, everybody pray out loud. Say, Jesus, I'm looking to you. I need you in my life. Today I give you my life. Will you give me yours? Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. Show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.